you all are probably quite aware that in this world and in this life, we are surrounded by slogans. We hear slogans and see them all over the place. Ride on a chairlift, walk a grocery store aisle, sit at an airport, listen to the radio, or drive across parts of New Mexico where there are billboards along the highway. Slogans are everywhere. And like it or not, slogans are embedded in our brains. And for a moment, I thought this morning, just for fun, I'll mention a slogan, and then you tell me with what company the slogan is associated. And this will be kind of evidence of how brainwashed we are. <laughs> so here we go. Finger looking good. I'm loving it. McDonald's. Ooh, that was a little bit. You should listen to that, McDonald's. Kentucky Fried. <laughs> just do it. What happens in, stays in, yep, and how about it keeps going and going and going and going, there you go, where's the beef? <laughs> and then there's this slogan from this company, they actually had a song that went along with their slogan, I'd like Adam to play this song for a moment, maybe you'll figure out that slogan and the company. Of course, I'm just trying to listen to the music, it's so good. <laughs> and the fellow who uttered the words, we'll leave the light on for you, Tom Bodette. Imagine that if your whole life was spent working for Motel 6, your tombstone read, we'll leave the light on for you. Well, for a long time, his voice and those words were stuck in my head, but anyway, today I begin a a short two-part series on the Psalms. And we're going to take an overview of the Psalms, what they are about, and how they actually can be incredibly valuable and useful tools for our day-in and day-out living as we go through this life, through the joys and the sorrows, through the ups and the downs, through what it means to be a human being in 2019. The Psalms say it all. Now, to help us get into this series... We need to explore the life of a man named David who was alive a thousand years before Jesus was born. And we're going to look at David's life very briefly because he may very well have written at least half of the Psalms. And this week and next is all about exploring writings. If you think about it, they've been around for 3,000 years. Imagine that. These words have been around for nearly 3,000 years and they've been part of the journeys of people of faith all of that time. It's quite astonishing to think that people of faith for thousands of years have been using these words to communicate with God, to utter words and feelings and experiences to God that represent our human condition in front of God. It's pretty extraordinary. What, what a treasure we have. Well, for a moment, let's just look at David's life very briefly and just some background just some background, we know that before David, there was a fellow named Samuel living in Israel, and, and Samuel was a judge. He was somebody that basically worked on behalf of God in society and culture. He spoke on behalf of God. He acted on God's behalf. He helped direct things, and Samuel had a lot of influence. Nobody could come to power without Samuel's say-so. And it was during Samuel's life that the people of Israel said, we want a king, we want to be a monarchy, we want to be like all the other countries around us. 
And for some reason, they thought that being a monarchy would make life better. And while Samuel was not happy about it, because why do you need a king if you have God? But while Samuel was not happy about it, he did respond to the people's demands, and he appointed a man named Saul to be the first king of Israel. And while Saul was king, after a variety of different kinds of events, a young man named David was brought to him because of his enormous gifts and talents. And Saul took a liking to David and asked him to be part of his inner circle. And after some events, David, under Saul, develops quite the reputation as a military leader of great courage and extraordinary success. And because David does so well on the battlefield, and because so many people admire him, Saul's ego can't take it. He becomes jealous. He was furious that David gained so much attention. And the attention wasn't focused upon him. Well, Saul's jealousy and mental instability got the best of him, and he decided, I'm going to have David killed. And David learns of Saul's intention, and he goes on the run, and in doing so, he leaves everything behind. And David may have just been in his low 20s when this happened, and he was a fugitive for up to seven or eight years, people think. And it was during this time that David went through a lot Terrible adversity, terrible hardship, physical hardship, emotional pain. And a lot happened. And at the end of that time, King Saul is wounded in a fierce battle only to fall on his own sword and die. And David then becomes the second king of Israel. And in many ways, he was an astonishing leader. He was concerned about justice and doing the right thing. He united all of Israel. He cared about people. He was passionate about people. But his passion got him into big trouble. One day, he had an affair with a married woman. And then he decided to kill the woman's husband, which he did. Enormous consequences followed. And David was a person of dramatic contrast. He was courageous, strong, confident. Scripture describes David as a man after God's own heart. He was fiercely loyal. He loved God, but he was not perfect, and he made very big mistakes. But through it all, the successes and utter failures, the wise and faithful decisions and the really stupid decisions, one thing is really clear. David felt every emotion there is to feel. And he related to God with unbounded passion. He loved God. He feared God. His relationship with God was intense. And David has been revered all of these centuries not because of his perfection, Not because he always got it right, but because every inch of his being was engaged with God. And as I think about David, as I think about all of Scripture, it's very clear to me throughout Scripture that God wants you and me to be fully engaged with God. Not just some heady relationship, but a full-body relationship with God. God doesn't want our relationship to be lukewarm or indifferent or passive or something we just kind of casually come to. God wants every part of us to get into the game, for it to be passionate and fiery and intense and sloppy and messy. And it's precisely into the place of living in life in which we are in an all-in relationship with with God that the Psalms give us so much direction and guidance. You see, the Psalm 
among many things, is a book of unbounded passion. It's a book filled with words to convey what an all-in relationship with God looks and feels like. And so much of the book is fiery because David, the guy I just described, may have written at least half of them. The words of David's psalms and other psalms reflect the full range of life experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so for a few moments before getting into a specific psalm, I want to just overview the psalms as a whole. There's a ton to get into I can't get into, but I just want to give us a general framework to think about. Now the word psalm means prayer and praise. Prayer and praise, that's what psalm means. They were written in Hebrew, they were written by a variety of people, David being one of them, but they were also written by musicians and devoted worshipers to God, King Solomon, who was the third king of Israel, and, and other people who were unidentified wrote the Psalms. And the Psalms are a book in the Bible in which God is not only revealed, but we as human beings are revealing ourselves to God. The Psalms reveal history, the emotions of people. Some were written to be used by individual people alone, by ourselves. Others were written to be used in the context of a community of people of faith. And across various intentions, the psalms were used for prayer, for worship. Often they were sung, which is why to this day they're often chanted. Now there are 150 psalms, and the 150 psalms are divided up by scholars into five different books. And why there is such a division, we don't know. But there is a division. And each of the five books of Psalms ends with a doxology. We sing a doxology every Sunday around the offertory, but each of the five books of Psalms ends with a doxology, words of praise. For example, in Psalm 41, which ends the first book of Psalms, it reads, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen, amen. It's a doxology. Now, there are a variety of different types of Psalms. Some are about praising God. Others are about lamenting. Or complaining? Have you ever complained about anything? Some are about affirming, yes, God, you are in charge, I'm not. Some are about confessing some wrong. Some psalms are known as judgment psalms or imprecatory psalms. Judgment, imprecatory means the same thing. They're about praying for protection from some kind of enemy or, or wanting God to have some kind of judgment on something that is terribly wrong. Some psalms are thanksgiving psalms. Some cut across categories. Some psalms have titles. Others do not. Some note who the writers were or was. Others do not. Some offer instructions for how to use them in worship. Some do not. Some have words whose meaning in Hebrew is really only a guess. So the psalms are very poetic, is very clear, and they're layers of meaning. They can be metaphorical. They can use a lot of similes. Often psalms use a technique called parallelism. Psalm 23, verse 1, you remember it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. In the first verse, the second line, I shall not be in want, expands upon the first. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. In Psalm 1, verse 6, it reads, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 
This is also parallelism. parallelism. The second line conveys something opposite of the first. The Lord watches over the way of righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And just one more thing to all of this before I get into a specific psalm. Sometime you will see asterisks printed when a psalm is printed. And in fact, if you look at your bulletin, uh, toward the back you'll say today's scripture readings. And you'll see Psalm 21. And you'll see an asterisk. And the asterisk is put there often by the writer. And it's meant to be a point of pause or meditation. So instead of just reading the psalm, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where is my help to come. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, blah, 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 blah. What the writer really means is this for to be a meditative, prayerful deal. So that when we're reading the psalm, we're invited to say something like, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where is my help to come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It adds potency to what the writer was expressing and can add potency to how we express our own emotions as we are going through a psalm. So pay attention to that. Now there's more about the psalms I'll bring up up about next week, but for now, I just want to touch on how the Psalms can help us. They can teach us to pray. They can teach us to not hold anything back. They encourage us, they encourage us to totally open up to God. They can help us get engaged. They can deepen our faith. They can guide our minds and our thinking. They can help us get in touch with tough stuff we need to look at. They can make us more grateful. But there's another way that I want us to think about the Psalms today. Now, some of us, when we experience life, will write down an emotion or we'll write down a feeling. Some of us journal, or some of us have journaled at some point in life. And as I look about at the Psalms and as I think about the Psalms, what they really are are the personal life journals of the writers. The writers of each Psalm wrote down their experiences. And by doing so, it enabled them to admit their honest feelings. Admit their honest feelings. To, to turn into what they were feeling. To explore what they were feeling and to ask themselves and ask God, what does all this mean? What are you teaching me through this experience? And when we are in the throw of some experience, good or bad, we can use the Psalms in the same way, to pray them, to read them in the same way. We can use the words of another person to finally admit our own honest feelings to ourselves. I'm angry. I'm happy. I'm joyful. I'm grateful. I'm ticked off. I want revenge. The Psalms can help leverage us getting in touch with what it is that we're really feeling so that we stop avoiding what we're feeling. They can help us turn into our emotions. They can help us explore our emotions. And they can lead us into the thick of that emotional spot and saying, God, what am I supposed to be learning from this? From this joy, from this anger. 
Said another way, the Psalms enable us to use the journey of another person in our own journey. So I'd like to wrap today and spend most of next week on taking a look at some Psalms and how they can help us. But today I just want to close by looking briefly at the 71st Psalm, which again is printed in your bulletin in two different versions. Now why did I have Marion read, ask Marion to read two different versions? Because different versions of the Bible sound dramatically different. And there's so many tools online that you can look at a psalm and look at multiple versions at the same time. Hearing different versions can convey nuances we, may not, we might not get if we just stick to one version. So, in this psalm, just listen to how it sounds. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. And it goes on. And I personally, in this psalm, really relate to the words from the message version. Because I felt this way in life of you. I run for dear life, God. I'll never live to regret it. Do what you do so well. Get me out of this mess and up on my feet. In life, have you ever felt like you were in a mess and you wanted help getting up on your feet? God, help get me out of this mess and on my feet. Put your ear to the ground, God, and listen to me for God's sakes. Be a guest room where I can retreat. You said your door was always open. My God, free me from the grip of these wicked people that are around me, from the clutch of the bad and the bully. You keep me going when times are tough and rough. My bedrock, God, since childhood. I've hung on to you from the day of my birth, the day you took me from the cradle. I'll never run out of praise for you, God. Put your ear to the ground and listen to me, God. Be a guest room where I can retreat. You can get into the words. You can jump around the psalm. You can get it to get into your emotion, to talk to God, to use it as a tool for speaking with God. I love the verse also in the NIV version, which says, God, you are my rock and my fortress. God, you are my rock and my fortress. Another version says, God, you are my rock and my refuge. There's another theme also in the 71st Psalm in the message version where it reads, be a guest room where I can retreat. You said your door was always open. That's actually a theme of Scripture from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. God is a place we can always retreat. God's door is always open for us. We can always turn to God. God never shuts us out. God is a guest room where we can retreat. God's door is always open. Now, we're going to get into a lot more next week with regard to some specific psalms. But I just want to turn to one last thing. Remember, I started this little deal talking about slogans. They're all over the place. But maybe instead of just hearing slogans and being subjected by, to slogans and being bombarded by slogans we necessarily don't want to pay any attention to, 
maybe we should each do what God wants us to do and to accept God's invitation to take some new slogans from the Psalms and embed, us, embed them in our heads. And there's a slogan, I think, that we could take right from Psalm 71. Although it's much more than a slogan, it's, it's a powerful, sustaining, encouraging truth. And I think a, a, a godly slogan we can plant in our minds, which is much better than finger looking good. <laughs> a much better slogan for our day in and day out living is God be my rock and my refuge. God be my rock and my refuge. It comes right from the song. I want you all to say it out loud with me. God, be my rock and my refuge. Say it again, but with some heartfelt passion. I mean, we all have stuff going on in life, challenges. Come on. God, be my rock and my refuge. Say it with passion and vigor like you mean it. God, be my rock and my refuge. What a great thing for us to take. Not only from today, but in our day and day out living. God, be When you're watching all the Super Bowl ads later, <laughs> albeit some of them are very funny, just close your eyes just for a few seconds in the middle of all that nonsense and fun and say, God, be my rock and my refuge. You'll be a winner regardless of the outcome of the game. <laughs> Go Rams. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, all right, go Pats. Um, so I invite you, uh, dig into the Psalms this week, have some fun with them, and, and think about really engaging them as, as, as your own words in speaking to God. And let us pray.